The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where we're working every week to be your public radio source for the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And today we are talking about one of the niches that a lot of folks are very interested in in real estate, which is student housing. Uh, Before we jump into that, uh, the Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati has its first first meeting for the month of August tomorrow, and it is a doozy. My dad always used to say that um, it took him 20 years to make his first million dollars. But that if he had to start all over again with nothing other than his knowledge, so he lost all of his resources, all of his credit, all of his money, all of his everything except what he had learned, that he could make it all back again in one to two years. So uh, that's been something that's been sort of hanging around the back of my brain for Years and years and years. Is that for real? Could somebody really do that? And tomorrow night at Cincinnati Rhea, that question is going to be answered by three local real estate cajillionaires who are on a panel called How I'd Make Five Mill in or One Mill in Five Years Starting from Scratch. It should prove to be a really interesting meeting because they're going to talk about the things that they would do and in retrospect, the things that they would have, they would avoid doing the second time. The early meeting is a note marketplace. So if you have notes to buy, notes you'd like to buy, notes you'd like to sell, or you just would like to be a fly on the wall, while that goes on, you want to be there at 6 p.m. There's more information about the meetings, uh, usually at CincinnatiRia.com. However, we had a run on our website today. Uh, Folks signing up for the uh, note conference that's coming up August 11th, 12th. You heard that here on um, this, the show here. And we sent out, we sent out an email and people piled on our site and the site crashed. And the last time I checked about 20 minutes ago, it was not back up again. So if you want more information or to RSVP for the Cincinnati Rhea meeting or for the note summit, that's August 11th and 12th, you're going to need to call the office at 513-471-5008. That number again, 513-471-5008. And Sarah will get you confirmed or signed up for whatever you tell her to. My guest today is Miss Dixie Decker, who literally went from bankrupt to millionaire in about three years in student housing. 
largely, of course, given that it all started with a bankruptcy, uh, not using her own money and credit to do that. She's got uh, quite a fascinating story and is here today uh, by phone to talk to us about both the business of student housing and how to run that correctly and also about how you can acquire student housing without putting a whole bunch of your own money or credit score into it. Dixie, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hello, thank you so much. How are you? I'm doing great, Dixie, and uh, congratulations on being picked to be one of the 12 featured speakers at the OREA Summit this year. That's a that's a big thing for somebody who's who's only really been out kind of on the road speaking for what what, what it's been two years. Almost, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a that's that's amazing. Like Aria's, well, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Aria's super picky about about <laughs> who it brings, who it brings to to come and speak on the stage. So uh, it's you know I, I I think I think you may be the youngest. I mean the the, the person the person who has been invited to come. Um, uh, you know, everybody, I'm everybody, I'm the rookie on the block. You're the rookie, right? The everyone who comes has massive experience like you do, but, um, it, most folks have been presenting for five to 10 years before they get invited. So hooray, that's well, a great you. thing. Yes, that's awesome. Um, can you tell us, uh, t- tell the audience a little bit about, uh, your story leading up to you getting into real estate full time? Because, um, I've heard it. But yeah. I think there's a I think there's a lot of folks out there who sort of despair of their ability to do this because something has happened in their lives, right? Uh, divorces, bankruptcies, yeah. um, bad bad decisions in the past, and all of those things happen to you, <laughs> like <laughs> like at the same time. Yes. So can you? Yes, yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? I can, I can. You know, the funny thing about that is, um, you know, when you go through something like that, um, it's really not the story you tell. Um, You know, you feel like you've just been slapped down by a Mack truck and you're embarrassed and it's not who you really believe you are. And so you don't tell that story. So it's been interesting the last couple of years as I've been telling this story, um, I now kind of make a joke about it that I have all the badges of honor you could ever imagine a girl to carry around with her. (laughs) And I say that now because it's made me who I am. So um, I grew up um, with a pretty good family. Uh, The goal was, you know, you have that white picket fence, corporate job, retirement, you get married, you stay married forever. Um, traditional lifestyle, I would call it, um, a great credit score and a day job. And so um, my dad was awesome. He taught me when I was 18, I was a senior in high school, I had a job and he taught me how to go to the bank and get a loan because I had an awesome 700 plus credit score. And he said, you just got to slap a little carpet in it and paint the walls, take that wallpaper down. That's called a rehab. I'm like, dang, I could do this. So um you know, life takes its toll. Um, I thought that was pretty cool. I got my license as a mortgage broker. I became a licensed realtor as well. Um, but my now ex-husband, um, he loved new construction and he was a framer by trade. So he decided, Dixie, you can't do that rehab type business thing. Even if you want to with your cool credit score, I want to build new houses. 
um, and, you know, little cookie cutter things. So we did a little bit of that. And um, that was, you know, 10 years I took the back seat to my life and let him make those decisions. So the long and short of all of that is in 2010, all of that came to a screeching halt when um, I began acquiring those little badges of honor. Um, I did not finish college. I had two little girls instead. Um, 2010, the marriage was rocky. There was um, drugs and um, alcohol abuse. There was mental and physical abuse. Um, he was He had other women in his life I didn't know about at the time. And I finally decided in 2010, I was done. Um, my daughter witnessed um, an event and I said, no more, turn that switch off. Um, we're going to, we're going to do this thing over. I was working a day job, making about $30,000 a year. Then uh, when I had him leave, he left me with everything. And when I say everything, most people get really excited. Uh, what that meant to me was I figured out why he hit the mailbox about two o'clock every day and was home from work. Uh, with my beautiful credit score I had, I had a little over $150,000 in credit card debt in my name I didn't know about. Mm. Um, and so that's where the bankruptcy came in after the divorce came in. And I remember sitting in that attorney's office and just laying my head down saying, I can't do this. I wasn't raised this way. And he said... I'm looking at you right now, and you're probably a person I can honestly say needs this. You are not going to dig yourself out of this hole. And I threw in the towel. So everybody that's out there that has any of those things, you know how it feels, and it's like you don't think you're ever going to scrape yourself up off that floor. So that was the, the dirty part, and in 2013, I met – um, a mentor in real estate like you, Vina, and, and others, and they said, you can do real estate with no money or credit. And I went, how do you do that? I only, <laughs> I know how to go to a bank and get a loan with a beautiful credit score. <laughs> and um, that was life-changing for me. It took the grit and the gusto to go out there and implement it and work those methods, and we can talk about those, of course. Um, but I didn't know this world even existed in 2010. And uh, it was between 2010 and 13 before I could get all of that stuff put away and put to bed. And, and my eyes were opened to this new method of buying houses with no money and no credit. Mm -hmm. And it's not new. Most of, as you said, I'm the rookie on the block speaking, but um, I, didn't, I didn't know this had been taught out there, out there for so many years. So um, that's the ugly part, Vina. <laughs> um, and then I worked, I think, and this is, you know, we're supposed to talk about student housing, but that first year I learned what wholesale deals were uh -huh. and to get some money in my pocket because I had the day job um, and I was, I had full custody of my children. Um, their father is not part of their life. So a single mom working a day job. Um, zero dollars in the bank. I was eating dinner at my parents' house so they could pack lunch for my kids for the next day. Um, I did get the big custom built, beautiful dream home sold before it went foreclosure. But one other house we had, um, as a rental of sorts, um, at that time, it also went foreclosure. 
Um, so I wholesale deals that first year. I did 37 deals that first year to put money in my pocket. And then we happened upon the lease options and the subject twos and the owner financing and created this little niche we call student housing, which for us is a long-term game now. Mm-hmm. Me, long-time, long-term game. So wholesaling was quick cash to get out of the hole. <laughs> <laughs> and um, this strategy has, you know, provided long-term wealth for, for me, for my partner, um, and for employees. So that has happened over the course of five years, and it just takes work. So many people leave the seminars and think there's no work involved, um, and I'm just I'm kind of a transparent person because I know it takes some grit, and you might delegate some stuff, but you still got to work it. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, you've been there. You, you, it doesn't happen overnight. And people think it does. They go, oh, you got lucky. Like, well, where were you in 2010? <laughs> there, are, there are those who would argue that bankrupt to multimillionaire in eight years practically is overnight. And we're going we're gonna to sort that out a little bit it more yes. when, we, when we come back from a break. I also want to encourage listeners, any questions that you have about student housing, about managing students about uh, buying houses creatively. Uh, This is a good day to ask all of these while we have Dixie here. Our number here in the studio is 877-772-9658. You can also send us an email. Just go to, just send it to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is the alliterative Dixie Decker, who is also known as the Queen of Student Housing. She uh, told her story a little bit earlier, and um, it's, I, I don't know, it's, just, it's, it's super impressive for anybody to put together a portfolio of the size that she has in the time that she has, especially without being able to go to the bank and get financing on properties, but to do it following a divorce slash bankruptcy slash foreclosure slash is, uh, I think, inspiring. Ladies, what do you think? So we're going to spend the rest of the show talking about some of the hows and, and, and whys and also taking your questions at 877-772-9658 or at askvina at gmail.com. So, um, Dixie, there's two different directions I want to go, so I'm going to pick one. Okay. And I'm going to, the one I'm going to pick is, what was it about student housing that made you say, oh, yeah, I definitely want, I definitely want to deal with kids who are away from home for the first time in their entire <laughs> lives and don't know how to act? <laughs> I know. It sounds crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the most simple answer is... I figured out what they paid per person or per room to live in our local dorms. And when you do the math on that, um, you know, if they're paying 600 a, a room to live in the dorms, I found out they were paying that in houses too. So if it's a three bedroom house and you're getting $600 a month per person, that's $1,800 a month for around here, a small ranch home that the normal landlord, like I put out an ad actually to do a lease option on a house for 750 or 850 a month. 
And I put out an ad for the students for 600 a room. And I got the students before I got the regular tenants. Mm -hmm. So the simple answer is the math told me (laughs) I need to do that. (laughs) Okay. Um, And that's crazy. But that, and people go, why don't they go rent just a regular house then? I said, they rent a regular house from me, but it's around campus. And the key is they don't want to, they don't want to drive. They don't want to fight traffic and they can't find a parking spot because it's an overpopulated campus. Mm -hmm. Oh, and also a lot of landlords won't rent to students. Uh, Yeah. So a lot of the houses are mom and pop type people and they just think that college kids are going to destroy the place. And what we have done is because we charge that higher rate and we're buying already pretty houses or we rehab them to pretty now, um, those kids paying that dollar amount have their parents on the lease too with me. So the parents control the kids and the parents keep my properties looking awesome. (laughs) And no one thought of it. I mean, people have thought about it, but people didn't think about it, you know. And the only people other than someone like me is some big apartment complexes. They rent to only students, and you actually have to show your school ID to live there. And um, so they love to come live in our little houses after they get out of those big megaplexes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you don't you don't uh, own or rent the student slums that I lived in when I no. was in college, <laughs> where. <laughs> I, I believe, I believe now, I, I don't want to say how long it's been since I was in college. It's It's been a little while. <laughs> uh, but I know that my roommate and I were, were, were paying, you know, close to probably 500 a piece for mm-hmm. an, an apartment where the pipes froze every winter and yep. we cooked every summer and only two of the four burners on the stove worked and the linoleum <laughs> hadn't been replaced since God was a child, and yep. it, it sounds like it sounds like maybe one of the big secrets to your success is you are providing housing to the students with helicopter parents who aren't going to let them live th- in places like where I lived. Pretty much, you nailed it. <laughs> Very much so, and um, you know, every, almost everything we have has hardwoods and tile and granite floors and new appliances. Um, they're just, they're what you would want to live in as a, an adult, you know, not, not the stuff we partied in in college. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, that's the, that's the cool part. They go somewhere else to do that business and a lot less of it in our houses. Um, I know they still have parties and stuff, but again, the parents are the ones making sure that thing is, looking awesome the day I get it back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yep. so it's, it's not, there's, there's not one business model in renting student houses, apparently, because you're saying something very, um, very different than what I, <laughs> than what yeah. I have observed myself uh, in, you know, around our university uh, here in town, uh, which is that a lot of stuff that's available for students is mm-hmm. it, it's expensive but it's mm-hmm. not nice. Right. Yes. So I would say, yeah, because um, we have the slumlords here. And recently, um, you know, now that we're, I've got so many around campus and people that have been those slumlords for so many years, they're calling us in June, July, and August saying, I'm done. I want out. 
you want these things? <laughs> because they're done being a slumlord now. And it's to a point where, you know, they've done it for so long. Um, they're now having trouble renting their stuff because I hate to say probably I'm part of that market that's providing a nicer place. And they're going, I don't want to fight it anymore. Um, so there's, there's stuff up for rent around here all the time, but it's the slummy stuff. And the kids these days in this generation, um, I think, I think you and I talked about this somewhere else. I ran into you, but statistically these, this generation has never shared a bedroom with a friend, a cousin, a brother, a sister, nothing. So the parents today don't want little Johnny to have to have someone to share a room with. So the parents are searching for these better options for their students now. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think makes it awesome. And I can hold so much pride in our properties. Um, it's so much less maintenance. I don't get those leaky toilet calls. Um, I also am kind of that, I, I call it the mom speech, but when they move in, uh, my assistant that moves everybody in, she gives them the mom speech and says, hey, here's the deal. Check this place out. It's gorgeous. That towel rack, if it falls off the wall because you think it fell off, it didn't fall off. You're going to need to fix that. Don't call us. <laughs> Toilets don't break themselves. Don't call us. you got to fix it. And the parents are standing right there going, yep, yep, we understand. So we are as much as because it goes back to you saying, um, you know, they've never lived on their own before. And so we're there. The parents are there. The student is there. And we're pretty much saying, this place has to look like this when you leave. And, you know, those old methods of the slumlords, we remember it's, it's okay if the door's broken. It's okay if the toilet's leaking. Um, that doesn't work for us. And we, we run a pretty tight ship because of it. And the parents are involved on the lease and their credit's on the line and their money's on the line. And that puts so much less risk in the deal for us. I mm-hmm. love it. Mm-hmm. Now, what uh, just to kind of give people a sense of geography, what college are you around? Okay, so uh, we're in Springfield, Missouri, and our university we buy around is Missouri State University. Um, the reason we also have two or three other universities. One of them, however, is a private college, and they have to live on campus all four years. Mm. So I don't get any students from there. Mm-hmm. Another one's a community college where they have no housing on campus, but it's because it's a local commuter college. So Missouri State University is the one that we concentrate on. And just to give kind of listeners an idea of why we know there's a demand there is there's 24,000 students enrolled at that university. They only have to live on campus for one year. And they only have room in their dorms for 4,000 students to live in. So every year I have 20,000 students looking for a place to live. Interesting. Interesting. So, okay, yeah. I get it. I, I get why you <laughs> why you chose college students. And uh, uh-huh. I, I get why uh, it works out for you. Now, can you, go, can you go through some of your numbers? You mentioned that... Uh, on campus, people pay 600 bucks, and what I believe what they get for $600 is to share a room that's maybe, maybe 15 by 15 and has a hot plate in it and no kitchen and 
the mm-hmm. the living area is whatever the you know nasty couches are in the middle of the. That's, oh. that's if they're lucky. If they're lucky, my daughter, um, as funny as this is, stayed in a dorm this summer for a college course, <laughs> and um, I went in and I had to do like a video of the actual dorms because I never stayed in a dorm. I never finished college, so I really had no clue. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, the room she got, she had to share with a room. It was 11 by 11 space. It had a, um, a 24 inch vanity top, a tub and a toilet and a refrigerator, no couch, no living room, no kitchen table. Um, that was the whole space. And there was two of those rooms that had two people a piece in them that shared that one little bitty bathroom. Hmm. So... I said, oh, girlfriend, this is why people love our houses. It's an incredible difference. But what I figured out was um, here at Missouri State, for them to live in that dorm for two semesters, because they go to school for about nine months, um, I figured out what they pay there. And then for me, I divided it by 12, because I want 12-month leases. I don't want any vacancies. And I said, okay. That actually totaled six ninety a month. So I said, if I'm under that at all, I've got the competition beat. I've got the parents in my pocket because now they're happy they're paying less than what they pay for the, the dorm for only nine months. They get my properties for 12 months, and they don't have to move out every time semester gets over. So I, as, as I get further away from campus, my rates go down. Um, but I average between four fifty and about six twenty five. So if I average all my rents right now, Vina, I'm sitting on average at five twenty five a room, and I have two hundred and seventy six tenants this year. Okay, I went to public school, so I can't do that math. <laughs> but that's <laughs> that's a lot of um, that's a lot of money coming in every month. Is <laughs> what it that is. is. Uh, and 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 the the other interesting thing here is that uh, these are houses that either the owners have financed for you, or that have Correct. been privately financed. And I that's the that's the next thing I want to cover after the break. But um, okay. just a little bit more on the on the student rental side. Uh, let's say you have a three bedroom house. Is that is that your ideal, or do you like properties that are bigger than bigger or smaller than that? Twos, threes, and fours are awesome and if the zoning is um okay you can get five and six bedrooms if you have like a residential high density zoning in some of these places so really we'll take anything we can get i have a couple one bedrooms that are getting 700 because it's a one bedroom space um so that's been interesting this year that's been new most people don't buy one bedroom houses um, I say if your if your payment is okay and you can get more than you would get for you know a normal one bed, get her done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> get the parents on the lease, get it done. But probably, I mean, mathematically for us, a four bedroom typically cash flows greater than anything else. Of course, mm-hmm. um, we started off aiming for four bedrooms. Uh, now though, uh, I, there's so many people that call our office every day looking for threes and twos. Uh, Two years ago, I was like, let's just load up on everything because all of them are looking for housing. Mm -hmm. And they they kind of go through this spell where 
They go to the dorms, then they go to the apartments, they come to the houses, they still have these great friends, there's four of them, and then the next year they're like, okay, we're really kind of digging in, we want to go to graduate, we want to get our graduate degree, we only want to live with one more person. So now there's just groups, a lot of groups of twos in that, you know, next level. So there's a demand for all of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, the other question is, so let's say you've, you have a three-bedroom. Mm-hmm. What are you providing besides the rooms? Are there any utilities included? I try to include nothing. Okay. Um, I used to include utilities. They don't know how to use the utilities properly, so you're always chasing money. Okay. Even if you even if you say, "Hey, I'll pay your utilities up to one fifty a month," um, they always go over it because now somebody's taking care of them. And then you got to chase your money. And I learned a long time ago, I don't like chasing money. Okay. Uh, another reason why I like the student housing, I've never had to evict anybody. And I don't know any landlords that can say that. So I love it because of that. Um, so with the utilities, I try not to give them internet or cable because if the internet's slow, they're going to call you to fix it. <laughs> I don't want to work that hard. The cable, they're going to call you and see if you can buy a fight for them and they'll pay you back later. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be that person. So I just decided after experimenting with that a little bit in the beginning, I just didn't want to do that. It didn't make sense to me. So we don't include furniture. We don't include utilities, internet. It's just not worth it. So it's, it's like a regular rental. They pay, they pay for all their own stuff in a single family home. You and got then it. The other got question. It. I'll before... cover trash if they don't have a garage because it seems like they let it pile up if you don't give them a trash can. <laughs> That's like $11 a month. I'm like, big deal. (laughs) Okay. And one more question before we go to break, and that is, um, do the the students pick their own roommates, or do you say, I have three rooms and three people can live here? Or or do three people present themselves to you and say, we are roommates? That is a good question. Um, A little bit of one and three there. So we'll have somebody call in uh, looking for a room, and we let them know that they have to fill the whole unit. Uh, We will not match make because I promise you, you will become their mama instead of their landlord. And uh, we're not in the mama business. So we don't match make. Um, So ideally, they have to come to us as a group or they go find their own group when they find the house they want. Mm -hmm. So we tell them, they usually call in, we say, what's the most you can pay per month? How many roommates do you have? And then we match them up with what we have available. Okay. All right. And the price point they're looking to pay. Very good. Uh, When we come back from the great break, we're going to explore further how Dixie collects all of these properties without using banks, her own cash, etc. We're also going to take your calls at 877-772-9658 or your emails at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing, talking today to uh, Dixie Decker, who is one of the featured speakers at the 2018 uh, National Real Estate Summit happening here in Cincinnati on November 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. You will hear more about that here on Real Life Real Estate in a couple of weeks. We'll have a a special offer for folks who uh, would like to both support public radio and get to the biggest national convention for real estate entrepreneurs in the entire country. Um, when Dixie's on my show, she talks about what I want to talk about when she gets up in front of the room and speaks. She actually has 
you know, pictures and she's, you know, it's much easier to sort of follow this from A to Z than maybe it is when I'm interviewing her. Uh, <laughs> so definitely, uh, definitely come and check out her presentation along with the other 11 awesome speakers. Uh, Dixie, we have a question from John who, this leads really, really well into what I want to talk about next, which is how you're acquiring these properties. John says, what would you suggest as a path for my sons who are 18 and 19 and who attended different colleges to purchase and manage student rental housing near where each of them attend? And it was funny because during the break, I was just talking to our engineer, Mike, here about the same thing. He's got a boy who's at UC and is paying a humongous amount of money every month to live in. Apparently, uh, you're not completely up to... (laughs) standard type of property. So this this must be a question that a lot of parents have is how do I acquire these houses or how do I arrange it so that my kids own these houses? So let's deal with that second question first. Do you recommend that people get their kids a start by letting them own a house near a college? Oh my goodness, that's like a loaded question. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the the, the non-speaker person in me, but the mom in me says, you have to make that decision based on your child. <laughs> um, and again, goes to the second thing, um, to make sure they have some training and if the child is going to be involved, they have to work it like a business. I hate to say that, but our, our young people would make their friends this deal, right? Mm-hmm. And then maybe the rules aren't followed, like I'm making sure we have people follow them. So I think that's a, a personal preference there. Um, but for the parents, um, they're absolutely my favorite people that uh, come to my boot camps and your stage to hear me talk because they're living this right now. And absolutely – you know, the first thing they, I'll, I'll give away like my biggest favorite thing, secret in finding houses is if they have some private money and they can fix up a house, um, the, those slumlords that you and I have been talking about all day mm-hmm. is calling those signs in the yards and finding out if they don't want their junk anymore and you'll take it off their hands because they're sitting vacant because they're the slumlords. And you can put your kid in there, and maybe you want your kid to live rent-free if they're not working and you're paying the bill anyways. And then the other two rooms become money in your pocket. So when was the last time somebody sent their kid to college and made money while their kid was in college? I think it's a fabulous idea because probably what you are spending for your kid to go to school is what the whole house payment is. (laughs) So you're getting two more paychecks, really. Um, so that's my favorite way. If not, if they are for rent and they're fixed up and pretty because it was already apparent, this is the the second cool thing that happens around here. Of course, it doesn't happen anywhere else, I'm sure, but (laughs) not really. Um, a parent like the folks that are asking the question, they got tired of paying that rate for the school. So they called a local realtor. They went and bought a house off the MLS at top dollar market value that was already fixed up and ready to go, that was good and clean for their kids, and now their kid graduates, and they go, oh, we can't sell it because we bought it at top dollar, and we still have to pay an agent on top of that, so we guess we'll just rent this thing and keep doing it. And then they find out they don't want to be an out-of-town landlord because they don't 
know what they're doing. And so if you come in as a parent with another child and you offer to cover rent and take care of maintenance and repairs, their dreams just came true. And then you rent out those three beds for a lot more than they're renting out the house for because they don't know any better. Mm-hmm. Now, what what structure does that deal take? If I'm going to if I'm going to the burned out parents and saying, "Well, I've got kids in mm-hmm. school now, and so let me take control of your house," mm-hmm. so is this a lease option? Is this a subject to? How would you actually structure that? Uh, I think probably the most common way. Well, I'll tell you the way I started because I was scared to own anything. I started off doing a ton of lease options. Um, in hindsight, I wish I would have um, asked to have owner financing and get my de- my name on that deed or take over their payments to do the subject to. So any three of those will work. It really, as I think, as, as you know, Vina, from being in it, it really is finding out from the seller uh, kind of what their situation is and, and what works for them. Because for me, it doesn't matter. I really don't care how I take it over. It's whatever suits that situation best. Um, but it, and for me, I was scared to own anything at first. I had just come out of the gutter and I was like, can I own something? I don't know <laughs> if I can do that. So I was lease optioning everything. Uh-huh. And I actually had a student the other day, um, they decided they weren't even going to do a lease with an option to purchase it. They just decided they would rent it. And then they subleased it to college kids. hmm Mm-hmm. So they're never going to own the place. They have no option to purchase it. And I said, well, what are you going to do when your lease expires? He says, well, I'll, I'll either be done with it or I'll renew the lease. Interesting. So, so he's going to make cash flow for as long as he wants to or, or he'll give it back. So he's just master leasing. Yep. So there's a, there's yep. a, there's a ton of uh, yep. p- potential here. And in addition to that, I understand that you have raised quite a bit of private money to by the ones where the owner didn't want to finance, I assume. Uh, what what sorts of terms are you paying on that money for these houses that you're buying? Oh, goodness. So that all varies. <laughs> all my answers are like, well, it depends. Um, and I think that's a key for everybody listening out there is not to get stuck in their own way and be flexible with options to do deals. Um, there's never just one right way. So private lending is a a mixed bag. Um, So some of my private lenders, if I am fixing and rehabbing and I need like short-term money, I just need to get this thing purchased because that's what's going to get me the deal. Um, Some of those private lenders, I'm paying a 10% interest-only return to. Mm -hmm. And most people that are listening are go, holy cow, how can anyone afford a 10% (laughs) interest-only payment, Right. Well, it's so short term and the deal was bought cheap enough that the numbers work. So a couple, uh, I don't want to get too far deep into it, but I have some other private lenders that are longer term money and they'll give me a five or 6% interest rate with principal and interest. And so I will try to, for the traditional term, refinance into my long term private lending money after that. Um, I did though, when I first started off, I didn't have access to as much money from other people, but I had friends that had jobs. And so it goes a little bit deeper into private lending, but I became partners with some of these people so that they could go get a bank loan with their credit and their income. And then we would 
get these houses and fix them up with a construction loan. Mm -hmm. But I never could go on those loans because I had a bankruptcy. I had like, uh, I don't even know how low the score was because I didn't have the guts to check it. (laughs) Um, And But the cool part about that partnership deal is that I think people should open their minds to is that I gave away 30% of the deal to a partner who took all the risk, guaranteed the loan, put in the down payment money, and I just knew how to do the deal, and I got 70% of the deal. Mm -hmm. So for me, starting off, I was okay to give up part of the deal to have a deal. It was better than no deal. And other people will gasp and go, why don't you give away any of the deal? Well, (laughs) some is better than none. Because other people have stuff I don't have. And in order to get them to give me that, I have to give them something they value, (laughs) which is part of the deal. Yes. So that was a form of private lending with a little twist on it. I call it credit partner private lending. I don't know what the technical term for it is, but it worked really well for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So basically, it sounds like every every creative finance strategy there is. Credit partners, <laughs> credit partners, private lenders, uh, subject to lease option, you're even open to the idea of master leases. All of these things have been used to acquire these, what, what do you have, 40 properties? Um, we're probably closer to about 60 now, 60. something like that. Okay. So folks who are sitting around going, well, you know, I can't really buy any properties right now because I just don't have the fill in the blank, right? The money, the credit, the right. <laughs> whatever, whatever the thing they think is stopping them um, yes. uh, are, are, are wrong. What they don't have is the knowledge. Correct. Correct. That's interesting. 100%. And I think that's, you know, goes back to what you are offering everybody at the uh, the RIA event we're going to. And that's where they start and getting educated. That's where I started, is at an event just like that. So you, you don't know what you don't know till you don't know it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, I you know, that's it. It is. It's just the knowledge of it. And I think back, I always, I, I always worked hard and my parents instilled hard work ethic. But often I remember my dad saying to me, it's not... It's not always how hard you work. It's who you know and what you know. And I think that's been the um, kind of the guideline since life crashed was talking to people, (laughs) finding out something beyond myself. And that paves the pathway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I've read a bunch of your articles. I've been around your website. I've actually seen you talk and can you can you sort of describe what your lifestyle is like now? Because you've gone from you've gone from bankrupt to mm-hmm. wholesaling, which is a job. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, it's a high paying job. <laughs> mm-hmm. To this business that you have managed to make really super duper passive. So, like, what does your day to day look like now? Um. So that's a, an interesting question right now where I'm at. But um, my my business partner and life partner now is Brandon. So we actually do the business together. Um, the only part of the business we are still dedicated to doing ourselves, per se, is still talking to those sellers. 
Um, we don't have to have as many deals as wholesalers have to have because we have this long-term game happening. So we still do that ourselves. Um, the rest of the entire business, we have, I have an assistant and a half, really, and they handle all the properties, anything with tenants. They get them pre-leased. Um, they check them in. They check them out. Today's the first of the month, and I'm doing this. I'm not out there checking in uh, 25 or 30 tenants on the first of the month because that's when we do our move-in, move-out is uh, July 31st, August 1st. <laughs> so this is what most people would see as the busiest day of our entire year, and um, I don't have to be out there doing it unless I just get bored. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, so we've pretty much, you know, now that we've kind of worked our way through this and learned to delegate, um, we have staff that handles the day-to-day business for us. Mm-hmm. Um, the last three weeks, um, I, I say it's an honor and a privilege, but um, I flew to Jacksonville for a week and did some speaking. Um, I came back. I went to Las Vegas for a week to um, play a little bit, but I also <laughs> did a little guest speaking there. And then uh, this, the, the last week, I was in Chattanooga, Tennessee on a family vacation. Mm-hmm. So it's grossly changed from where I was. And the only work I end up doing is the stuff I create and put myself back into the business. <laughs> and then they kind of want to get rid of me again. So I cause a little bit of chaos. And currently, we're just asking ourselves, you know, how much do we want to scale this? How much work do we want to create? And the most important part for us is um, we don't have to check the bank account when we walk into the grocery store anymore. And um, I have a good credit score now, but I don't have to use it. And then the piece you don't know about, Vina, is Brandon proposed (gasps) this last Saturday on family vacation. Congratulations. Thank you. So... (laughs) That's our little lifestyle now, and we could just continue on this path and call it retirement with the cash flow that's coming in if we chose to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's such a big difference between be between you know eight years ago when you were when you were freaked out and panicking about finding out more and more stuff you didn't even know that was going on in your financial life mm-hmm. and. And, you know, having to go to your sisters and, you know, ask for support sometimes. And um, I mean, like, 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 like 180 degree turn and and in so short a time, I know it doesn't seem like it was a short time to you. (laughs) 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 Because that's, well, that's how it always is when you're living it. Like you see every single thing that went into doing that. But from the outside, you know, everybody listening to the show also lived that eight years. Yes. And some of them are in no different position today than they were eight years ago. Yes. <laughs> and yet you've made you've made massive changes in your life with uh, only we've only got a couple of minutes left here. And uh, I do want to there's a question that's actually been sitting in my inbox from Tiffany since practically we, the minute we started the show. So I want to make sure she gets taken <laughs> care of. Uh, she says, what do you do in the summertime when the students are off in order to continue your cash flow so i do the 12 month leases and so whether they go home to visit mom and dad or whatever they choose to do um the rent still comes in for that house or that unit or whatever it is because you can do this with multifamily, which we're doing a little bit of that now as well um 
it still comes in. And the thing I tell my tenants when they sign the lease or, well, Jessica does it all now for me, but what we tell them is, look, if you're going home for the summer and you have a friend that wants to sublease the space from you, just let us know and they can sublease it. It's no big deal. Um, it's your responsibility to find that person, though, not ours. Uh-huh. And we just want to know who's living in the house. Uh-huh. And so she'll get a handful of those every year that say, hey, I'm going to go home. I don't have a, a summer job or anything. And so I'm going to sublease my room. Here's the person's name and information and they'll be mailing rent. So I don't I don't have to worry about not getting paid. Yep. And and Tiffany, she has an answer like that to every question that you might have about student housing. So <laughs> uh, I know Tiffany's coming to the uh, 2018 National Real Estate Summit uh, in awesome. in in November for second, third, fourth. So you can spend some time with Dixie, uh, asking her more of your questions in the bookstore and also seeing her actual presentation, which is awesome. Dixie, we look forward to seeing you. I appreciate you being here today hey. and sharing your wisdom about buying student housing creatively. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Mm-hmm. 